Welcome to Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy practitioner. I'm your host, Holly Wayment. I work for UT Health San Antonio's Department of Pediatrics. In this podcast, we explore how we can provide the best, most cutting-edge, compassionate care for children. We hope to give you a unique and behind-the-scenes edge from our expert guests. After listening, click on the link on this podcast for free credit that may include CME, MOC, or ethics credit, depending on the topic or podcast. It's been a heartbreaking week for all of us in light of the school shooting in Nashville. Joining me today is Dr. Jessica Sandoval. She's an assistant clinical professor for the Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Division at UT Health San Antonio. She's double board certified in adult and child psychiatry with 13 years of experience in child and adolescent psychiatry. Her clinical interests are in trauma and PTSD. Dr. Sandoval, thanks so much for being here on Pediatrics Now. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. It's been such a tough week for everyone and for all of us who work in the pediatric world, practitioners who work every day to help children and save children processing and handling yet another school shooting can be particularly hard. Absolutely. Um, You know, as a child and adolescent psychiatrists, I have so much admiration and I'm so grateful for our pediatric partners. Um, and, you know, we're, we're happy to provide, um, you know, some, some thoughts about how we do self-care um, in light of having to um, hold a lot of these really, really tough stories. You know, um, one of the first things that I'd really advocate all of you to do is take the time for yourselves. And I know we all say that and we all, you know, talk about how important it is, but um, it really is important for you to be able to take the time to lean into your families, to your loved ones. Um, You know, you may not be able to talk exactly about the cases that you're having, right? You're not going to be able to discuss um, the things that you're seeing, but you can talk about how you're feeling. You can talk about how you had a really difficult day, how you're feeling really sad. And it's important to be able to get those things out in the open, right? If you have colleagues, um, you know, that you can talk to on a regular basis as well and kind of process through, it it can be really healing to talk about, to to be able to get that out into the space instead of just being, um, just weighing on you. And so that's kind of the the first thing that I definitely would, encourage people to do, right, is to not expect that you should have to handle it all and that you should handle it all alone. Reach out to your connections, um, lean into your families, to your partners, you know, spouses, loved ones, um, and really be be okay with experiencing those feelings. And that could be how we strengthen our emotional connections. Absolutely. Because the more that we hold on to them, the more that we don't talk about them, the more that we suppress them, that's when we burn out. That's when we, you know, can't um, do our best work because we're holding on to too much. And so we have to be able to to talk about those things. Um, and, and the likelihood is, is that a lot of other people are needing to talk about those things as well, right? Again, especially if we're talking about our colleagues who are seeing um, the same difficult things that that we're seeing. Um, so harnessing um, those relationships is really important. And what about our patients and their parents and caregivers? 
what should we say to them about how do we talk about these really sad things? So the first step I would say is making sure that we're telling our parents of the children that we're seeing that they need to be listening. And that sounds like something that is so um, simple and so obvious, but it's very hard to be a good listener, to be an active listener. And so what we should be telling parents is you should be listening more than you talk right? You should be allowing your child to tell you about what they're concerned about um, because that both allows the child to, you know, express themselves, have that autonomy, um, get those emotions out, but it also lets them kind of dictate how much information they want or don't want. And that's really, really important when we're talking about these sensitive kind of discussions. Um, they may be more worried about um, one area that you didn't even think about. And so you're making assumptions that really what they want to talk about is um, something that's much, much bigger. And you might uh, go down a path that is not either, you know, developmentally appropriate or is not something that they're even wanting to talk about when really they were more concerned about something that, you know, seemingly is more minor, but but in their world is very, very important. Um, the other thing that I sometimes will tell families, especially if they're getting ready to have a difficult conversation, um, is to give their child the information that you have feelings too, and that you may have a really, um, for example, if, if you're about to talk about um, the, the school deaths, you might say, you know, these are things that can be really hard for me to talk about too. And can I tell you that sometimes when I feel really sad, what's helpful for me is when people hold my hand and just give it a good squeeze. That makes me feel better. And in that sense, you're kind of modeling to the child, it's safe to have emotions. There are things that can make those emotions better. And you give them a task that they can do when they see an adult have an emotion that they can make it better. And that's such a powerful thing to do, to give them that tool to help their parent, right? Um, and then they kind of learn that, well, maybe I like it when people give me hugs. Maybe I like, and they can start to kind of put those things into practice as well. That's really beautiful. What else, how do we start the discussion? I would start um, by asking them if they, so I think it depends on the age of the child. Um, really, really young children may not need to have a full discussion about these are the things that happened, um, but it's really important to know that they may be overhearing things that other people are talking about. Um, so you know, a conversation starter may just be a very simple open-ended question like, um, hey, tell me a little bit about your day. Was, did, were, were any of the other kids having a hard time? And you just kind of start, again, very, very broadly, um, or you might talk about, um, you know, with your older kids, you might say something like, um, Tell me a little bit about, um, or, you know, ha have you been, have you heard anything on the news? Tell me a little bit about um, 
what you've been talking about in school and again kind of openly or gingerly kind of opening the door for them to tell you about what they have heard or not heard um and that's kind of where i would start things um if if the child does say um well i heard that there was a a shooting and people are really worried about it again i would open with another kind of open-ended question well tell me about what um Tell me about what you know about what happened and let them kind of lead. Um, and so little by little, you're kind of uh, assessing a little bit more about how much information they they have, how much information they want. Um, it's really important to, to open the door and say, um, what questions do you have for me? And know that it's okay if you don't have an answer. Know that it's okay if you don't know um, you know, something about the circumstances or you don't know, a lot of times kids will say like, why, why do these things have to happen? Um, and it's okay to say, we don't know. Um, so that's kind of where I would start. And as parents, our natural, um, way of doing things is to try to protect our kids from hard things. Right. But here we really, we need to talk about the hard stuff. Absolutely, because we want to know what they know or what they don't know. And a lot of times kids' imaginations, um, whether they're little or whether they're teens, is 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 pretty great. And so they may be thinking about these worst case scenarios that would be really helpful if you clarified or really helpful if you were able to give them, you know, additional information about all these other things that are happening to keep them safe, all these other things that we're doing, um, you know, to, to make sure that they're uh, provided for, supported, um, et cetera. So in the case of the Nashville shooting, the quick response by police helped to prevent more deaths and injuries, something like that? Um, I think I would, I would probably talk more about, you know, so, so local, if they were talking about you know, being worried about the the school here. You know, one thing that you can point out is, you know, even though we're hearing about more of these shootings that are happening, um, they're still very, very rare when we think about the number of schools there are around, you know, the city, the state, and the country, you know, here. Um, and, and part of this is kind of as as a parent, knowing what is happening at your school level, knowing kind of what the community is doing. And so we can say, you know, um, our schools have, um, you know, if they have uh, officers, if they have, uh, a lot of them have like parent uh, patrol type of things, you know, they, they have uh, a lot of drills and education. So you can talk about the specific things kind of in their world that are happening, um, you know, to try to prevent um, you know, a, another issue at their school kind of thing. That's great advice. Um, and what about a child who has depression already? How do you approach the conversation then? I don't think that it would be that much different. You know, you you still would want to approach the conversation with open-ended questions with listening, you know, the treatment of depression is going to be kind of a, a ongoing separate process, but um, doesn't change the child's ability to have that conversation, 
Um, and in fact, you know, it may be important to normalize for them that everybody else is feeling really sad about this particular event. You know, that that's not part of the depression. That's part of the shared humanity that we are all experiencing from this enormous tragedy. When I say that we have to be willing to, to be able, you know, when I say we have to be willing to acknowledge our feelings, um, I'm even thinking about myself, right, in doing this. So in thinking about doing the interview, I had to acknowledge that doing interviews makes me nervous, right? I had to anticipate the possibility that I become tearful, depending on the questions that you might pose. You know, I thought about my daughter is a nine-year-old, third grader, and to see that we lost so many or that that we lost several nine-year-old third graders really brought many emotions to me. And that's part of our shared humanity. And in being present with those feelings, when they come, I can move forward and get to work. You know, we really need to make sure that we're practicing the things that bring us peace, right? We're getting out in nature, we're um, doing exercise. If you're a spiritual person, that you're staying in touch with your spirituality, we talked about leaning into connections, right? But if you're doing all of those things and you're really leaning into your relationships and you still feel the heaviness of the collective traumas in your work on most days, then don't be afraid of asking for more help. Don't be afraid of therapy. Um, earlier, you asked me about hope and you have to be hopeful to do this work, to do this work well, right? So if you can't find hope in your daily practice and you're feeling burdened, don't be afraid to accept some additional help in processing through the feelings that you might be holding on to. And therapy is a is a, a great tool. Because there's times when a lot of us may not have someone that we feel like we can open up to, right? Absolutely. And or you may be opening up and finding that it's making you feel more drained. Um, and, and that might be a assigned to you that maybe the other person is also, you know, having difficulty that maybe the way that they process, um, you know, their feelings or, or your feelings can be uh, unproductive. And so seeking out some additional helps uh, and supports can be uh, a great way to go. And Jessica, as a pediatric psychiatrist and specializing in trauma, can you give us some insight? How do you deal with this? It must be really hard for you. So I kind of do all these things that we're talking about. You know, I talk to my husband about days that are really tough days, days that are really sad days. And on those days, you know, I kind of lean in for more hugs. I lean in for more handholding. Those are the days that maybe we try to take a walk around uh, the neighborhood, you know, kind of get some um, active non-media related um you know, activities going. Um, the other thing is I, again, process with colleagues. I work in the correctional um, uh, system. And so we definitely hear a lot of very heavy, um, you know, very difficult stories. And so um, I have other wonderful colleagues within the system and, and you know, we talk about those things. Um, and then the last piece is advocacy. You know, the last piece is is trying to talk about, um, you know, we need additional, um, you know, mental supports. We need, um, you know, to address 
gun violence and, um, you know, so working within our um, national organizations um, is really important, right? So you kind of take some of that um, and move into action. So those are kind of some of the things that I do for myself. And can you tell us about the state of the mental health crisis right now, for example, in the state of Texas? So we are still um, so under-resourced. Um, most of the counties um, are still in in severe shortage when it talks when we talk about having enough um, psychiatrists and um, you know counselors to go around, which is you know, a, a big part why, again, we're so grateful to our pediatric colleagues who, you know, are doing um, as as much as they can, you, you know, at the forefront. Um, so we still need a lot more individuals um, <laughs> to provide the amount of care that, that would be needed. Um, that's another reason why we're so grateful for the um, CPAN and T-CHAT programs, so the Child Psychiatric Access Network. Um, and I forget the acronym for T-CHAT, but basically it's a school-based, um, you know, mental health. Um, and things are expanding. There's a, a new clinic that's open or opening for, especially for trauma. Yes, absolutely. So um, anybody who cares for children, pediatric practitioners, um, family medicine doctors can call um, CPAN and access a board-certified child and adolescent psychiatrist um, Monday through Friday to get additional support um, with helping their uh, their patients and kind of asking questions about those cases. Um, if you call that same number uh, for CPAN, we have a lot of we have supports where we can help with resources, and one of them um, is our we have a couple different T-chat um, clinics. Um, one is for uh, kids who have experienced trauma, and so they are able to um, provide some trauma uh, therapies for them, which is the gold standard um, in, in treating trauma. Um, we also have a program for substance um, that's, I believe, for 12 years old and up. Uh, the trauma one is five years old and up. Um, and then we also have a, a program for school refusal for any uh, child that's five years old um, and basically through uh, 12th grade. Um, so I know sometimes, um, you know, both for, for social anxiety, even um, outside of uh, having to talk about school shootings, but, um, you know, there, there are a lot of kids right now that are struggling. Um, Dr. Amy Garrett is one of our uh, psychologists who is a research, uh, researcher on uh, PTSD and doing some amazing work. And um, she also has a study uh, where uh, kids can have access to high quality uh, trauma therapy, 18 sessions, um, as well as compensation. And so that's another um, resource potentially that um, kids could have if they needed. Even when things like what happened this week in Nashville happen, how do we keep that that hope going strong? It's just so awful. Yeah, I I would say I will keep doing this job, um, you know, every, every time that I see someone who does um, improve, who has a realization that, um, you know, things are actually 
a little bit better than they realized, who learn to communicate better, you know, with their families, like all of all of that gives me hope. Um, and so I don't think I could uh, do this job <laughs> without having hope. Mm -hmm. And there are so many um, just wonderful displays of kindness and sharing and giving, you know, that I see not just in my patients, but, you know, in, in my family and our schools and my colleagues. Um, so, so I just have to have hope, right? These bad things happen, but there are so many um, helpers and so many people who want to make things better that I just have to find those connections with those people who also are hopeful and trying to make change. And um, the more of us there are, we will be able to do it one day. Well, and I thank you for fighting the good fight and doing the important work that you do. Is, is there any advice you have for our pediatric practitioner listeners regarding warning signs to look for with patients who could act out violently at school? And can it be prevented? I mean, so obviously I, there's things that are being prevented that we don't hear about on the news, right? Right. All right, the time. Right. So, you know, I think it's important to to make sure that um, our kids don't feel alone, right? And so I think one of the important things is kind of, um, you know, talking to the families about communication is so, so important. Um, I don't think that we have a great way to say this this one person is going to be the person right that that is the the next shooter um people don't wake up one day all of a sudden you know saying this is what i'm going to do a lot of these these kids you know have had a lot of trauma in their lives have had a lot of um social marginalization right they feel alone um and so really it's about making sure that we're encouraging all of our kids, all of our families to kind of have that connection, um, build community. Um, and that that's that's kind of, I think, where I would emphasize rather than, you know, is there one thing to look out for? Because um, I, I don't know that it's quite that simple, unfortunately. Building connection, building community, being you know, having the ability to be vulnerable, to kind of feel these feelings, to kind of be able to to talk about those things, whereas a lot of families just kind of um, try to kind of brush it and say, you're fine, let's go, keep moving. Um, we need to be able to slow down and, and have those conversations, have those family dinners, um, sit down and talk to each other, put our phones down. And that includes us, right? That includes us as parents too. put our phones down. Right. Um, and and build that time together. Um, and I think by doing that, again, we, we, we're building healthier families, healthier society, um, and preventing lots of other things as well. What about social media? With social media, again, it's kind of a discussion, right? Like what, what are, one of the things that I will tell parents is, you know, it's important to kind of, talk to kids about social media is designed to keep you on it as long as possible, 
right? All of the mm -hmm. social media platforms, you know, YouTube, things like that. Um, and so kind of thinking a little bit about, um, okay, well, what what is it that I'm wanting to get out of social media? How am I feeling about myself when I'm scrolling, you know, for, for long periods of time and kind of helping them build a little bit of that insight, um, you know, is, is really important. I think for families that can kind of hold off of social media as long as they can, I think is helpful because it's really hard to have to be um, kind of quote unquote on all the time. Um, and I think kind of re reinforces a lot of really unrealistic expectations for teens. Um, but the reality is, is that that's kind of the method of communication for a long of the, for a lot of them. And so sometimes completely banning is, you know, unrealistic. Um, so I think, again, moderation, having discussions about what it is that we're, we're using it for and what it is that it's not going to be helpful for. Um, for some kids, it may be 15 minutes and they're already upset that it looks like, you know, this other person has all these other things. Um, whereas for others, you know, maybe, maybe it is the hour. Um, but, you know, That's certainly I would say, point. yeah, so certainly I would say, you know, um, probably no more than an hour. Wait, do you have any other advice, Jessica? This, this has been so helpful and so insightful. Any other advice for our pediatric practitioner listeners? The big thing I would say is just, again, know that you are not alone. Know that you don't have to do this by yourself um, and that there are a lot of other people, um, you know, who are probably feeling like you're feeling and, and just making sure that you're reaching out, um, you know, to your loved ones, to colleagues, um, and not being afraid to feel your feelings and, and be able to kind of express some of those things. I think is it's so important for the healing part is to be able to acknowledge it. Um, and so not, not trying to, um, do it all and, and be the super strong <laughs> individual that, can't last, you know, very long. And it sounds like there's a lot of hope on the horizon and, and practitioners can reach out to that CPAN number to help any patient who's having mental health issues. Absolutely. And the beauty is, again, it's in real time. And so if you have a patient in your office and you, you know, are thinking, well, do I even need a medication? You can just call us and we're available. Um, pretty much immediately after you talk to the uh, screener and we can kind of talk through, you know, possible next steps. And therapeutic steps in general. Right, right. We can talk about um, kind of lots of different options. Dr. Jessica Sandoval, thank you so much for being here today. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu.
I'm Holly Wayment. I hope you can join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening.